Welcome to the Quality Hang Podcast, hosted by Rod Brooks and yours truly, Marcus Osborne. This podcast is Rod and I having conversations with unique persons and people from around the world of sports and entertainment. Now, we won't be specifically talking about their professions all the time. As a matter of fact, we're going to try to avoid it as much as possible. This is a show where we talk to people about their passions, which for many people, if not most people, not necessarily one and the same. For Rod and I as broadcasters, we get sort of pigeonholed, pigeonholed into talking about the subject matter we cover. For Rod, it's sports. For me, it's entertainment. But there's plenty of other things we have interest in. This inaugural episode is going to be a bit different from most episodes we do in the future. I had all these bells and whistles planned on the production side, but as I sat here editing, kind of came to the conclusion that none of that stuff was necessary. Adding all that stuff for this particular show just felt like it was too much for this subject matter, almost making it feel like we were being sort of cavalier about a topic that's incredibly serious. So this week is going to be bare bones. We literally just started recording in the middle of a conversation about basketball star Kevin Durant, and then from there, it got dark and raw and compelling, very heavy, perhaps triggering to some folks, a conversation about death, mental health, and suicide. And you probably won't ever hear it discussed in this manner ever again. Now, this episode is not an advocacy for anything other than making you think about giving you a perspective that most of us wouldn't even consider. So please, if you're experiencing a mental health crisis of any sort, reach out to someone, call a hotline, call a friend, reach out to a stranger, do whatever you need to do to get through the day. And with that said, I want to introduce you to my friend, David Shapiro. And David wants to die. I think that if KD doesn't have someone, he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy people are going to just... He needs a Draymond. Rally around. He, he needs, needs somebody needs, who can rally people. He needs a Steph. He yeah. needs, you know, he needs a Clay. He needed, you know, he needed Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I'd rather play than Russell Westbrook. But yeah, he needed James Harden, you know, back then. So I listen, I believe Kevin Durant's going to win another title. Is it going to be in Brooklyn? I don't know. Kevin Durant's going to win another title. Kevin Durant's a great basketball player, but but it's 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 clear that his decision to go to leave the Warriors uh, for whatever the reason that decision was made was not a good decision. It's just that that's yeah. that's all it is. So you know, he, out for him. he like I said, whatever that dude is searching for, man, I hope he finds it. And and I I, I said this when he was here. <laughs> I'm kind of being a wise ass, but I'm kind of being serious. You know what he needs? Yeah. He need a woman. He need a woman. Yeah. No, I'm serious. He need a woman to tell him, get the fuck off of Twitter. Get the fuck off yeah, of Twitter. Yeah, man. He need a woman. He need get a, a life. He needs something. He need a life. He really does. And I I don't I don't get mean a that in a, in a in a negative pejorative sense, like get a life. Nah, man. Go, go be a hooper. Be that dude. But find 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 somebody to love. Our guest is David Shapiro, uh, actor, comedian, uh, dabbles in many things. I guess that makes him a Renaissance man. Uh, he loves pugs, as you can clearly see by the uh, very impressive artwork uh, in the background. Uh, he is a uh, a real American, as he loves pizza. 
on the road all the time, and the man has a very interesting story to tell. David Shapiro, welcome to Quality Hang. My man, how are you? I'm all right, Rod. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks for coming up. You know, we were just talking hoops uh, a little while ago uh, as okay. we are progressing through the the NBA playoffs. Um, you know, kind of we, we, we kind of feeling you're out here. Who you bang with? What set you claiming? I'm from Chicago. So I and and I grew up there and I I'm born in 1983. So um, I'm very lucky. It's Jordan all day. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. I I, I actually my my guys joke him Noah um, because he played with a lot of heart and it's too, it's too cliche Aww. to like Jordan. You know, it was it was just felt too everyone liked. I like him. He's just not my favorite. <laughs> And an interesting fact, since we're talking, I like to I like to mention this. Do you know the Bulls are the only professional sports franchise in North American history? They've never changed their logo, not one. And and obviously, teams that have been around for like three or four years haven't changed it. But the Bulls have been around since the '60s, so that we're talking what 60 years, and they've not yeah. changed their logo. What the typeface on their jersey? Yes, but their logo, the bull with the no, never, not once. Consistent logo. So I root for that logo. I root for those jerseys. Bulls, you know, and sometimes it's hard between Jordan and, and Derrick Rose. It got really, it got really rough. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey, man, they're, 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 they're coming. They're getting better. They're coming. They're getting, but that's, that's sports. And, and being a Chicago fan, honestly, um, you know, that we weren't good <laughs> before, before the Bulls. <laughs> that one Super Bowl in 85, you know, notwithstanding, Chicago was not seen as a, a city of winners. Uh, and the Bulls kind of changed the culture. And then, you know, the, the White Sox won. And I'm a White Sox fan. I hate the Cubs. So the White Sox won in 05. The Blackhawks mm. ran off. You know, they, they won a, a handful of Stanley Cups. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, the Cubs got theirs. Um, and the Bears have flirted a couple times with that Erlacher team. Um, but, yeah, that, that's sports. It's cyclical. you gotta, you got to ride the ups. And I think that's why people like guys instead of teams because it's, it's hard to ride those waves of your team Good point. sucking. <laughs> and sometimes Good point. my teams are awful. So. <laughs> Trust me, as a, as a lifelong Raider fan the past 20 years, no. it's been like i got to find a guy. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's easier. Guy. The guy's not going to let you down. He's going he's gonna to be good until he retires. Let's uh, let, let's let's segue into more about you, Dave, because one of the reasons yeah. I want to have you on is because, like I said, you have a really interesting backstory and interesting history. Uh, I don't know how much you want to get into it or how where you want to start, but um, should I just turn the floor over to you and just kind of let us let uh, hear, hear your history and your your story? I, well, I, there's there's a, there's a lot of story. So well, so you're it's all interwoven, but tell me where we're starting. So you you've made it very clear that you're kind of tired of life, um, like in yeah. general, just sick yeah. of being alive. And it's not because you walk around in depression all the time, et cetera, et cetera. It's just because you just yeah, I've done it. I've yeah. I've lived it. I've, I I think I've lived more life than if you put if you put my if you put my stats right on a sheet, <laughs> my, the curriculum detail of my life. You're the and, Jordan. <laughs> Right. And you no. but if you ask somebody to tell you how old that person is, they're going to come back with like an 80, 85 year old because I've done I've done so much. You know, I've lived so much life and I've experienced so much. And that's not to say that I've experienced it all and that I've done it all and by, by no stretch. And there's still things that I would love to achieve, um, but there's just nothing that I need to achieve 
to have lived a full life that I can. I think the only thing that I, the only thing that I wish I could do that I've just accepted isn't in my cards is be a father. Uh, I like sports too much. I need to be a father. <laughs> I need to tell my son how great Jordan was. Oh, okay. So I, I, I have so many questions, but, but just to be yeah. clear for the listeners, mm-hmm. you, you want to no longer live. Correct. I, I, okay. So I've been, I've, we don't have our, 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 our language that we use, the English language is not articulate enough to really parse between the fact that I've had suicidality since I was five. So I am, I have, I am and have been suicidal since five, but I'm not acutely suicidal, which means I'm not about to jump off a bridge. I'm not going to slice my wrist. I just, I loathe being, I wake up and my first thought is, fuck, not again, you know? Mm-hmm. And the last thing I do before I go to sleep is, is just hope for like a heart attack or a brain aneurysm in my sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not extrapolation or exaggeration. That's, that's, that's actually, I just, I've wanted to die since I was five years old. Um, nothing happened. I should say that people, every time I tell a therapist, they're always like, all right, who touched you? You know, <laughs> I'm like, nobody, I had a great childhood. I had, I had a, I was, it was full of family and love. Um, I never had a, I never had a need. I had a couple wants, but most of my wants were taken care of. I had parents that loved me, grandparents that loved me, great aunts and uncles. I was surrounded by old, you know, Italian and Jewish love, lots, which is very ethnic in, in how it loves you. Um, and, uh, I think I saw a movie when I was five, uh, called, uh, the last emperor. It's about the last emperor of, I know the movie. I know the and movie. That's Spielberg, right? I can't remember because I was five and I haven't watched it since. Um, but he, it, it's told through flashbacks and every time it's current, he's trying to kill himself in a, I want to say a train station bathroom, uh, maybe a bus station. And, and I, that's where I understood suicide for the first time. And I told my mom, I want to commit suicide. And when people ask me why, you know, I think the only through line that I can come up with for me as a five-year-old and me as a 38-year-old is I, I've done it and I'm ready to go. I don't, Mm. I don't have anything else I need to do. How does your family feel about this? Uh, well, actually, I'm estranged from my parents and my brother at this point. My ex-wife divorced me, so there's not much family left. Um, before that happened, though, uh, <laughs> my dad does not understand. Let me let me start by saying there's there's four types of ways people can respond to this. There's I understand and I agree. I understand and I don't agree. I don't understand and I don't agree. And I don't understand, but I still want you to get your peace. Um my dad was very much, I don't understand and I don't agree. So he's very angry with me. Go ahead. I, I'm, so I'm trying to understand because not just human beings, but all sorts of creatures on this planet have this innate desire to live. That, that, that's, just, that, that's just how pretty much every living thing is wired. It is, you know, obviously interesting and and somewhat shocking to hear a human being say, "No, I I don't want to live anymore." And I've felt this way since I was was five years old. Oh, are, are, we're are almost you, at thirty four years. It, it, I, 
this clearly is a rare thing. I, I will assume also you're not alone. Have you met other people who who feel this exact same way, who have had the same life trajectory? Uh, I've met other people who are just kind of ready. They're just, they're, they're, they look at life and they go, you know, I don't want to do this. Any. And since I started posting about this on Facebook and being open about it, a lot of people, I'm getting a couple kinds of reactions. Um, but one of one, a lot of people are messaging me saying, thank you for, <clears throat> thank you for articulating what I felt. Thank you for articulating how I feel. Um, I also get what I like to call closeted conservative, uh, Republican Senator energy. Uh, where people they yell at me publicly and then they come through and underneath the bathroom stall of life they say hey I feel the same way um, so that's funny uh, because it's like what what I think that a friend told me what they're doing is they're using me as as a stand-in for themselves they're yelling at me expressing my truth because they don't want to express theirs so if they can shut me up they think they can shut up the voice inside their head What's 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 the feeling you get when you feel like people are constantly trying to tell you what you should and shouldn't do and how you should handle this? What's the feeling that you get? Uh, at this point, mostly annoyed. It depends. Who, it depends who it's coming from. It's it's yeah. it's you know I, I I do stand up and it's a lot like someone giving you uh, advice on your jokes when you walk off stage. Who's mm -hmm. who's saying it? Uh, how how strongly do I feel in what I did and said? Um, and do I have the patience in that moment to listen to it? I'm arguing uh, right before the window opened up. I was arguing on Facebook with someone because they're like, no doctor's going to help you because they took an oath. And I'm like, eh, they don't take an oath anymore. And she's like, yes, they do. The Hippocratic oath. No, they don't. That's, they don't actually take an oath anymore. And even if they did, no doctor – because, uh, Rod, what I'll say is I've, I'm – in at least in my understanding, in my mind, I'm suffering, right? Because I have a mental illness. I've been suicidal for almost 34 years. I don't see any reason I need to be here. Um, and, and that's that's all the things Marcus has, has seen me post about. And so what's, what's the point of going on? I, I think I lost my train of thought there. But no, no, no doctor is going to – I'm suffering. That's what it was. I'm suffering. And no doctor is going to – if it was a terminal – if it was a physical illness, illness there would be a lot more sympathy for me. But because mm -hmm. it's a mental illness, it's like, well, you just need to find the right therapist. You just need to find the right drug. But all that is toxic positivity. We don't know if there's a right therapist or a right drug or a correct treatment. It's, it's toxic positivity. It's also living – I just learned this. I did yoga the other day. They say live in the present, right? And that's kind of something that everyone says. But the yogi was – don't live in the hypothetical past where you could have messed up because a lot of people do that. I've noticed that since then. People will say, oh, this could have been bad. I could have missed my flight. But you didn't, so move on. She also said don't live in a hypothetical future. Okay, I don't I'm not I'm living in the present and I think the present sucks and I don't want to be here and telling me that there might be help is a hypothetical future and I don't I don't want to live another 35 years just to get there and there's no help and I, I spoke with a, an advice nurse for probably 90 minutes last night and, and I'm, I'm able to checkmate whoever I'm talking to in the conversation because I'm going to die anyway. Right. I mean, that's a given. We all die. I'm going to die. It's going to be painful. It's probably going to be of an awful disease. Why do I have to wait until if I'm ready now and I'm experiencing all this mental, emotional suffering? Why do I have to wait so I can also experience physical suffering? Like what, what's the logic there? Is there anything Is there that makes you happy? Oh, absolutely. I, look, 
I'm I think I'm probably the happiest person. Well, I know that, this is this doesn't make sense. I was gonna ask if you were unhappy, but I I I, I didn't get that sense. <laughs> I wanted to ask the same question, but in a different way to find out what what when when you do wake up and you realize that you haven't got what you wanted, which is to no longer be mm -hmm. alive throughout the day, what brings you some sort of joy or just flat out happiness? Sure, sure. Uh, and, and forgive me if I jump the questions. I've had these same conversations I'm, at this point thousands of times. So I, sometimes I sense what's coming. But I think with the happiness, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go backwards and then forwards here uh, for a second. So I was married for 10 years to a woman that I still to this day totally adore. Uh, and love. Um, sh we had a house. We had three bedrooms, three cars, three dogs. We had all the trappings of of life. Um, and and I, I'm realizing it, but I didn't have any out creative outlet, which I clearly need. I, I need a creative outlet. And back then, I, I like to describe it as I had my content. And and I know content is kind of a pejorative sounding word, but when you've had a long day and you just want to shoot. Look, she used to watch playoff NBA playoff games with me. I love that woman. Um, so we would just come home, and and it got to the point where she knew it. She'd start screaming at the TV. That's a flagrant two, not a flagrant one. And I'm like, I love this woman. Like, you know. Um, but I don't nowadays. I don't have. I come home to this shitty apartment I live in because we sold our house. We got divorced. She cheated on me. We sold our house. We're divorced. I live in this crappy apartment. There's nobody here except me and my pug, and I love him, but. I don't have any content. I don't have anything that makes me feel safe, like I can exhale. But conversely, I have more creative outlet than I know what to do with at this point. I, I'm I'm deliriously full of creative outlet opportunities, um, and that makes me happy. I get to perform uh, multiple times a week. I get to bring other people happiness. Uh, I get to do weird things in my performances if 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 I feel like it just to try it out and see what will happen. I, I've, I've earned that kind of spot that I can take a chance. I don't have to play it safe necessarily in every performance. Um, I, I get to bridge communities and, and bring my art to the world. And as an artist, my art probably will outlive me, especially if I die soon, uh, which, you know, that's a factor in wanting to die a little bit. If I die now, my art outlives me and I can't want anything more than that, you know, in life. Hanging with friends. I mean, short answer, hanging with friends, um, planning my shows, putting my shows on, seeing my pug, going for a run, uh, talking to you guys. All that brings me happiness. Man, I, uh, I wonder, I don't know if you're a religious guy or not, but um, is there anything you would look for, you look forward to when this is all done uh, or does it matter one way or the other? You cut out a little bit, but I, I right when I was, you said, was, is there anything was, you look forward to? But yeah, I, I was just asking. No, and look forward to after you're gone. Like, does that make your your feelings about leaving this earth? Does that make it easier to make that decision, or does it matter to you at all? Uh, well, I'm I'm Jewish. You guys are still with me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we got you. absolutely. Okay, okay, okay. I got a I got a signal a thing telling me here. Um. I'm Jewish, and traditionally Judaism – I'll have to give you the textbook Judaism and then what I believe. Traditional Judaism just says this is it. This is this is it. There's Don't 
it basically says don't live in a hypothetical future just live in the present do do good in this life for that yeah that's the only thing that matters is being a good person now um you're not being a good person so you can get something later um i as a, a rabbi got fired when i was uh six years old uh there's i don't know if you guys want to go into that story but it's it, there's a story there he got fired when i was six and um so i kind of had to come up with my own religious principles um and when my when i lost my first grandparent it was nice to think that he was still watching me so i i formed an idea a concept of a heaven uh and then as i got older i decided people like hitler had had to go somewhere when they were dead they didn't go there so i believed in this sort of hell and there are there are sects of judaism uh like uh kabbalah which is it was made famous by madonna um and they believe more in a heaven and a hell and an afterlife but traditional core judaism doesn't so i i've kind of made peace with Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know, and I don't care because I don't want. I don't want to be in this life anymore. And I'm lucky to have it. Let me say that I, I'm not complaining. Everything I have and every all my shows, I'm lucky, and all the friends I have, I'm so lucky to have it. Uh, I just don't think that it outweighs having the mental illness that I do. And has there been any point? In your life, you talked about when you were married and you had you had things, but it still didn't it wasn't it didn't fulfill you. Have there been points in your life where you thought hey, th- this is good? I, I, I obviously am, am battling something mentally, but the good is outweighing the bad. Have you ever been happy at, at any? I know you are, but have you ever right. not? Have I ever, I ever looked forward to living? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you an analogy uh, and then answer the question. Uh, depression is kind of like, uh, swimming and and people that naturally float. I don't, I lack natural buoyancy. So people that naturally float. Okay. So you're going to get this. They, they, the people, the floaters can't understand that we can't float. Yeah. They, they, it's not, it's, it's incomprehensible to them because it comes naturally to them. They get in the water, they float. So we're by, by, by default, they believe we're doing something wrong. So they tell us, breathe, relax. Don't think about it. You're trying too hard, which is funny because that's the same things that people tell depressed people because people that have never experienced depression can't comprehend what it is to be depressed. They understand situational depression. They understand, um, you know, oh, my boyfriend left me, Netflix canceled my favorite show, the Lakers lost, uh, you know, I, I got a parking ticket. They understand those things. They don't understand, um, what is it called, when when you're just uh, clinically depressed. Mm-hmm. I call it systemic depression because I feel it all over. That's not actually the best term to use. Um, so I, I've, I've never had the – I'm tired because when you, when you don't float, and when you're depressed and you're not and everyone else around you is floating and you're trying to keep up appearances, be right, because now I'm trying to stay up with everybody and on top of the water and float because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's what I'm told to do. It's what expected of me. I'm tired because I'm treading water. Right. And I've been treading water for almost 34 years. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, there was one week in my life to answer your question. There was one week in my life where I felt like I had floaties and an inner tube. And I knew that even if I even if I got even if I dipped under the water, those floaties were going to keep me up. 
Um, so that ends that analogy. And then to, to actually answer your question, uh, the first week of April in 2017, uh, my ex-wife got a promotion um, and we were going to have money for the first time ever. And so I like to tell people we were going to be able to choose to eat pastaroni. We would no longer have to eat pastaroni because um, I like it. I'm not, I'm not hating on it, but, um, and, and I produced my first stand-up show. Um, I, I produced it. I hosted it. I think 15 people bought tickets and I said, okay, I, this is, this is something, this is a creative outlet. I didn't say that exactly, but I thought, okay, this is something I can do with my life. Cause she didn't want to leave Sacramento and there as an actor, there's Sacramento. There's nothing here for acting. Um, but she didn't want to leave here. And I thought, okay, this is a way I can make Sacramento work for me. She's never leaving, but now she has a job that takes away all the hard things in life. And I'm happy. And, and we have the content. We had the three dogs in the house and the three cars. Okay, cool. This, so for that one week in April of 2017, I started thinking about being old and grandkids and, and traveling and, Actors and, and lawyers, my ex-wife is a lawyer, never retire, but maybe at one point we'd slow down and, and we just experience life. Rod, you want to give us a reset right here? Uh, David Shapiro, uh, actor, comedian, uh, very interesting person, very interesting conversation. Uh, Dave, where can people find you social media-wise and, and where can they engage with you? Because your, your, your story is quite engaging. Thank you. Um, it, it's, it's really nice to hear somebody say that. Um, uh, I am on all the social media as lucky Jew 22. Uh, that's J U. Cause I was 16 when I, when I spelled it. Uh, so lucky <laughs> J U 22, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Uh, I don't tweet, but I have one. Um, I think that's all I have. I also, um, should we talk about the, I'll let Marcus tell me, should we talk about the other? I, I would love to hear. So how, so, so just the background, Dave was going through all this stuff uh, because he was calling a hotline and it got, it got to the courts. Go ahead and give us that story. Oh, okay. I was, I was talking about the other social media. We can come back to that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But okay. So the courts. Okay. Yeah. So this is fascinating. I've, I've been, when I say that I've been suffering from police harassment, that's not my words. I actually do a training seminar with, uh, law enforcement. I've done it for about eight or nine years. Um, it's state run and it teaches officers of all kinds. We're talking CHP, local, county, sheriffs, um, correctional officers, all kinds of law enforcement. Teaches them how to investigate and interrogate sexual assault crimes. Because the first time they ask somebody, oh, you got raped, shouldn't be the first time they ask somebody that. You know, get reps in, just like practice. Get right. the reps in, practice. So when it's game time, you know what you're doing. Um, and I've done that as a, a victim, a sexual assault victim, and I've also portrayed a sexual assault suspect. And so I work with a lot of law enforcement, and they've told me, hey, man, because I've told them what's been going on. They said, you're getting, you're getting harassed. Do you know that? And I was like, well, I thought that, but it's not classic police harassment. So I didn't know. I didn't know that that – I didn't know I could say that. But in the last five years – um, I've been cuffed and perp walked um, to a car. Uh, they did an unwarranted, unauthorized search of my apartment, uh, which still no explanation. Uh, they also said a lot of offensive things on the tape. And I've tried to get the tape, but they don't want me to get it because they said some pretty spicy things. Um, they, uh, 
they probably made about it's called a uh, call of service is the type of visit it's called because I didn't commit a crime. Um, they're not in investigating, uh, uh, you know, me doing something illegal. Somebody called them and said, he's going to kill himself. You got to go check him out, which it's important to say that I've never called a hotline and said, I'm going to kill myself right now. Like that. I, I'm just trying to talk about it the way I'm talking about it with you guys and people overreact and they hear what they want to hear. So they called the police, police dispatch, call service officers come probably had about 50, 55 calls of service to my apartment. Wow. In four years. I've, I've dealt with police a lot. Wow. There's a, a unit in Sacramento called the mental health unit. Um, I've found that ironically, they're terrible at dealing with mental health issues. Uh, patrol. I, I deal with patrol because normally these calls are coming in at three, four in the morning and mental health unit works eight to five patrol is out. So I actually like a lot of Sacramento PD patrol officers. Um, it's the mental health unit that doesn't like me and filed what's called a gun violence restraining order in court. I don't want a gun. I'm, I, I got these small hands. Um, I, you know, I can't, I can't, I can barely hold a football for just point of comparison. Um, I can't, it's hard. I got to really grip it to throw it. Uh, I don't think I should have a gun. I'm a Jewish from Northern, a Jewish guy from Northern Illinois, uh, with small hands. I, I'm, I'm peaceful. <laughs> I don't, I don't want a gun. Um, but they told the judge that I do. They told the judge that I want a gun and I want to start hurting people. And I said, I, I, I didn't say like, were you wearing a body cam? Can you play the body cam where I said that? And they were like, we don't have to. And I was like, well, I think, I think you should have to, because I didn't say that. But because I didn't have a lawyer, which is called being pro per, and and just for anyone watching, nobody likes someone that's pro per, um, especially if you have extensive trial advocacy knowledge like I do. That's because my wife is a lawyer and my dad's a lawyer. So I've been surrounded by lawyers my entire life. And I basically gleaned a lot while my wife was in law school. Um, so it looks like I watched eight episodes of Law and Order and then went to court to argue. And that's not what happened, but that's what the judge thinks. That's what the cops think. So they're telling her I'm this awful person who's going to commit violent offenses with a gun. I'm saying I'm not. Who is the judge going to believe? The police officers, you know? Um, and I don't have a lawyer, so there's no one really there to articulate why we need the evidence because I can say it all day, but I don't I don't know precedent to, to cite. Um, so they, they won this, what's called the GVRO. It's very new. A lot of my police officer friends don't even know much about it because it's so new. I think that the mental health unit in SACPD actually slapped me with it for practice. I think they wanted to see how it worked, how it affected somebody. I think they wanted to go through the motions of showing up in court and, and winning the case. So they hit me with this thing in April of 2020 um, during the lockdown. So it's like, what am I, how, what, how am I going to, I can't, even if I wanted to buy a gun, how could I buy a gun? The gun shops aren't open. Um, and it was supposed to last until April of 2021. I'm not sure what quirk allowed it to extend to September of 2021, but it, I thought it expired in April of 2021. I said, I can't fight the police. I can't fight the judicial system. I'm going to let this go. You got to pick your battles. So I'm just chilling, thinking life went back to normal. And then September of 2021, uh, a cop shows up. And he's like, you need to come outside. And I'm like, I, I don't come outside. The easiest way for me to say I'm not going to hurt anybody is for me not to engage. So go away. I'm fine. I'm not coming out because if I come out, you can say I 
came at you aggressively. Right. He's like, well, I got something to give you. And I'm like, I don't want to just leave it on the porch. He's like, well, I have to, I have to give it. Finally, he says, okay, it's a, it's a, um, it's a restraining order. I have to serve you. So I come out, I talk to this guy. He's refiling the restraining order because I've kept, I've continued in his words, I've continued to call crisis lines. Therefore I'm still a public threat. I'm like, what? So a month later we have a hearing and this officer, his name's Benjamin Gray, tells the that's important. He tells the the judge that I'm a homicidal threat. And I'm like, whoa, that's 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 a that's a criminal accusation saying that I'm out here trying to kill people. Who who have I threatened to and he's like, Well, I don't have to talk about it. I'm like again, I'm like, I think you should have to. I think you should have to prove that I've done this awful thing that you're accusing me of to get this restraining order against me. Fast forward to two weeks ago, uh, that same officer, Benjamin Gray, actually was arrested, uh, and he's in jail now because oh. he was illegally filming uh, women that he would date. Oh, wow. He was recording them, and, and this, this made national news for a second. He was illegally recording and filming them. So now I want to file a termination order and say, look, I, that guy was a liar, and he's a despicable person. So now will you believe me? Because the opposition to me, what he was, he was, of course, he couldn't show me the tapes he had of me. His camera was full of the tapes of the women he was dating, you know? <laughs> wow. So that, that's kind of where that is. So, okay. Dave, I just, just, just to be completely clear, like yeah. you, you're saying you never threatened anybody's life. Ever, no, right? no, no. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm, I'm a very peaceful person. I don't want to live. Um, I have attempted suicide 40 plus times. I've failed all of them, obviously. Um, but I've never tried to hurt anybody else. I would never hurt anybody else. Um, it's, I'm not, I, I do, I do always say with the caveat of a full fledged Nazi as a Jewish man, yeah, I might, I might want to attack a Nazi like a, I feel like, like a black, yeah, like a 1940s, like Hitler Nazi. Um, well, we got some modern people running around. You don't have to. You don't have to go the old school route. We got some. Oh, I know. It's weird. I know. I know. I, know. I, I, I was. I was out jogging past the Capitol the other day, and they smiled at me, and I was thinking, like, I'm, I'm not. I'm not who you think I am. Don't smile at me. I sneered at them. I gave them a good like. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't want to hurt anybody. And there's no. There's no documentation out there. There's no recording. There's no. Nothing in my own, like other people have said that about me, but I, and, and there's no, no one's ever felt threatened by me. I'm, I'm, I'm a small, again, I'm a small Jewish man. I'm five, five and a half. Um, I'm non-threatening, you know? Damn, dude. I, I feel really, really, I mean, I, I you know how I feel. I, I feel like it, it sucks for you. It, it feel bad for you. I empathize with you. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to wake up every day and just simply not want to be here. It's, um, I don't know. I don't know what else there is. I think that's because people ask me sometimes like, what would it feel if you didn't feel like that? I don't know. I was four the last time I didn't feel like this. You know, I wasn't really, there was no frontal lobe. Um, it's, um, it's all I know. And I've tried and that, and that's what, that's what comes back to where I'm happy. I've tried to make the most out of it. I've tried to live my life to the fullest. I've tried to pursue my, my artistic career goals. Um, I've, I was married for 10 years. I've dated a woman after that. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but none of it fills the, the emptiness that I have inside me. 
You said you dated after your divorce. Um, mm -hmm. Are you interested in dating again? Are you interested in, in possibly finding someone that you really vibe with and, and, and marrying and then maybe having a child? I mean, you did mention that, you know, children or having a, a, um, a son would something that you're right. interested in. Uh, that's the best way to put well, it. I mean, Yes, but I'm running. I'm I'm going to be 39 soon, and I like women my own age or older. So we we're running out of time. I don't. And a lot of people. Well, you can have a kid till you're 70. I don't want to sire. A, I don't want to just be the 70 year old dad of a newborn. Like I, I wanted to run alongside the bike as my kid was learning how to ride, and I wanted to play basketball with him. And and you know, so I, that's I've just had to kind of make peace. That's probably not going to happen. Um, I am interested in dating. I am, I do want to fall in love again. Uh, the problem is I have these five hurdles. Uh, I call them red flags, but they're actually hurdles. And I don't think any, any same woman that I'd be interested in would want to jump those hurdles. Uh, that once, once you, once she finds out what those hurdles are, it's like, well, the guys on death row are well read. Maybe they're a better choice, you know? <laughs> They got hurdled too. Dumb. Have, have you have you tried to um, find a support group? People who share the same outlook on life, or or lack of outlook on life. No, uh, because I, I i have a I have a penchant for taking over discussions. Um, and most, uh, facilitators and support groups don't like that. And, and the few support groups that I've actually gone to for mental health reasons, I've been asked not to talk, which Damn. I'm hearing don't participate. Um, so I, I, it traditionally, I don't engage with support groups. I did reach out to NAMI, uh, before the pandemic happened. That's the national Alliance of mental something. It's, 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 it's a mental health group that exists across the country. Uh, they asked me to be a peer mentor, but then the pandemic happened and it didn't go any further. And I'm uninterested in it at this point because I, I'm, I'm happy to tell people, I think things can get better for them, but I'm never going to believe things can get better for me. And I don't think that's what people want to hear necessarily. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sort of uninterested in a support group for that. You mentioned medication earlier. That's something you've tried and it just simply does not work for you. I've tried eight different SSRIs, uh, which is a serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake, in, reuptake inhibitor. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a drug that they give to um, depressed people. Uh, I, I started taking it because of my OCD, uh, clinical OCD, not like I, I want my movies alphabetized, like no, like OCD, OCD. Um, and uh out of the eight, six of them had zero effect. One of them uh, rendered me, uh, gave me erectile dysfunction while I was on it. And one of them made me gain weight, which I had never done in my adult life. Um, so I, I said, and they didn't have any positive side effect. I think that's important to note. It's not like I suddenly was happier. Uh, now I was still sad and fat and impotent. So I was like, you know what? I'd rather just be sad than sad and fat and impotent. Uh, that didn't help my marriage, probably. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, never does. 
Right. I, I, me personally, I don't react well to medications. Um, benzodiazepines is, is a class of medicine like Valium uh, is in that class. And that class of medicine I can't take. Um, they gave me Valium once um, after LASIK. And it, Valium's supposed to calm you down and relax you. It made me feel, legitimately made me feel like the skin was crawling off my body. Like I felt the physical sensation of my skin trying to get off my bones. Um, I know they're not really on my bones, but you know what I mean? Uh, so I generally don't like taking medicine because I have really bad experiences with medicine. So. Damn, Dave, I, I, back I, uh, around to your family. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mark. I just, uh, I have go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I just want to circle back around to your family. You, you mentioned your dad, that you're estranged. You haven't mentioned mm-hmm. your mother. Um, is she still with us? Does she? She is. She is. She's, I, I love my, I, and I love both my parents and my brother. I love all three of them. Things have just happened in the last year, probably exacerbated by my outlook on life. I'm sure that's part of it because it's, it's, it's exhausting to be my family member and hear me talk about wanting to be dead. Um, I, I have to uh, take on some of that responsibility. Um, my mom is still alive. Uh, I love her very much. Uh, she, she's, very much an Italian mom. Uh, she's Jewish. She converted to Judaism, but she's a very Italian mom. Um, and uh, they, they were coming to my shows up until recently. So they were coming to the shows and supporting. And um, I, I, I like to say I am who I am because of my mom, in spite of my dad, but because of my mom. Hmm. I think she's a fantastic person. This must be tough for her. Um. It is, she's, she, on some level, she understood because we would sit and we'd cry and she'd say, I don't want to lose you. I should die first. Um, and I would apologize and, I, and I'd say, but I don't want to be here. Um, we've, my mom and I, obviously I experienced all the things with, you know, at the same time with my dad and then when my brother was born with him. So it's, it's not like we had unique experiences unto my mom and I, but it's always felt like my mom and I are living it together where it feels like other people are living it and I'm living it. But my mom and I kind of commit when people would die, when things would happen in society, my mom and I could always kind of huddle and talk about it and, and process it together. What is, if you don't mind telling me, your family's history of mental illness? I don't mind telling you. Uh, my my paternal grandfather um, definitely had an anxiety-based disorder, but they didn't believe in that in the 1920s. Um, so um, probably bipolar and probably OCD. Um, I would say my father has some sort of undiagnosed anxiety disorder. Um I'd say my mother has some sort of uh, some sort of mental health disorder, um, something slightly dissociative, maybe. Uh, and I'm not trying to disparage her. I, I love her, and uh, I think she's. A, I love I love both personalities that I get. Um, my my maternal side. I'm going to say there. I, I my maternal great aunt. So my mom's my grandmother's sister. Mm-hmm. 100% was a hoarder, uh, classic hoarder. 
which is a sign of it's a it's a it's a sign of OCD. It's a not sure. a sign. It's a type of OCD. Right. Um, so my mom would ask me sometimes, "Why do you? Why are you depressed? Why do you have mental illness?" Well, because you because you stooped because you stooped my dad. You know, because um, you guys had a baby, and it. How could I not be mentally ill? Mm. You know, it's it's it was coming from both sides. Mm. Damn. Wow. Um. I, what do you? I, First of all, I love the fact that you keep a sense of humor about all this stuff because this Absolutely. is pretty. It's pretty dark stuff, and I love. That no, I'm feeling hard. bad. I'm feeling like I'm bringing you guys down. No, no. I you know how I feel. I, I always like not, talking to you, Dave. So. It's not lighthearted subject matter. It's. Yeah. It, I, I'm just trying to understand, so I, I can truly have the 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 empathy that this conversation absolutely calls for you know what i mean it's just you know as as i grow up even though i've been an adult for a long time i i'm i'm learning in real time like i think a lot of people are about mental illness and and how right. it's a thing and it's not as easy as suck it up buttercup and so That's to right. have this this conversation with you and you are so open and giving about what you're going through and your family and, 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 and things of, of that nature. I I'm, I'm genuinely curious because I want to understand why a living being has, does not have the one thing that pretty much every living being has, which is the innate desire to survive. And and for you, well, I, I, I think I, find it, I just find it to be fascinating. I think to answer that, um, I think you'll learn that not every living being has an innate desire to to, to live, thrive and survive. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's part of it. Is yeah. there are other people out there like me? Um, I'm just I just happen to love talking, and I'm articulate, and I have a sense of humor, and so that makes all this kind of more palpable. Yeah. Um, I think I, I like I said, kind of at the top, I, I've done not the top because we were talking about basketball, but the, the middle top. Um, I've, I've I'll give you my I'll give you my CV really quick. Um, I've spoken six languages. I've traveled to multiple continents and countries. Uh, one of them was my ancestral homeland. I think that's important. I think people should experience that. I had two parents that loved me and adored me and gave me everything I ever needed, most of the things I wanted. I had four grandparents into my teens, which is a rarity um, for some people. I had four great aunts and uncles to double the old person love. Um, I went to college. I got a degree. Not that everyone has to do that, but I did that. I experienced that. Uh, I met a girl that I was, am still madly in love with. We got married and we built a life together. We owned a home. Again, not as something everyone has to do, but I'm glad I experienced it. Um, I, she broke my heart. Um, I experienced that. I fell in love again. I experienced that. Uh, and then I built a career for myself. Um, and, and I've really been able to pursue my dreams and artistically make things happen, which is something I needed um, what else is left? You know, it, it, it comes down to, and, and I think my, my mom's mom 
is, is a big factor in my feeling this way. She, uh, she died from Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And it's, it's probably the worst disease there is. Uh, it tears the body apart like a piece of Kleenex inside of a washing machine. It just tears it apart. But you know it's happening. Uh, the patient knows it's happening. Um, and they just have to watch their body break down and feel the pain and experience that. And it got to, and my grandmother was the happiest person I knew. She loved laughing. She loved, she was terrible at jokes. She'd always tell the punchline before she was just the worst at it. Um, But she loved telling them and she loved laughing and throwing parties and eating classic Italian grandmother. Literally the, the scene from what is it? Goodfellas where they sit down at two in the morning and the mom's bringing them food and putting it on the table. That's, that's, that's real. That's, that's my grandmother. Um, but when she got Lou Gehrig's disease, she, she fought for the, you know, and she tried to look happy and she tried to be happy, but she couldn't talk anymore. It was the first, the first thing to go was her mouth. Um, she couldn't eat anymore. Um, she couldn't laugh really. So within a year, you could see the wear and tear on, on her, on her soul, really. I mean, on her face, but you could see it on her soul. And it got to the point, she had one of those, um, those children's toys. I don't have one, but I have this pad of post-its where you write a message and then you lift it and it disappears. She had mm-hmm. one of those to communicate with us because uh, she couldn't talk. And, and this was before cell phones. So they she couldn't write it out. Um, she wrote out, I just want to be dead. Mm. And I love this woman as much as I've loved anybody, you know, probably beside my wife and reading that, and seeing what she'd gone through for the first couple years, you know, year and a half of this disease, how could I want anything else for her? She's so miserable. She doesn't want to be here anymore. It's a scale. And, and, and she's, she's suffering more than she's benefiting. What's the cost of life is kind of the, the common phrase for that. And when it comes to me, I'm not fit. I'm not physically suffering. I can't, I can't portray that. Um, or, or, or say I'm doing that, but I, I am suffering emotionally, mentally. I, my OCD is it. I don't have a thought that's not filtered through OCD. Uh, everything I do is filtered through my, my germophobia. Um, and it's exhausting. It's, it's, I'm, I, I'm so tired of cleaning things and I can't stop. I've tried, I've, I've done, I, I've spent $27,000 on, on talk therapy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fortune. Um, I've, I've seen over 20 different mental health practitioners, uh, two of them for five years each. They, and they're all good. They were good at what they did. And I tried the, all the medications and this is how I feel. It's never going to get easier. And now I'm estranged from my parents and my brother. And I love all three of them. My ex-wife left me. Um, my, I, I had two of the dogs are dead that I had. The other one's going to die at some point because living creatures do. Um, I'm, my friends are going to, you know, f- friendships fade and people, you lose people throughout your life, even if you don't lose them. I don't see it getting better. And, and I'm single and I'm going to be 39 soon. And I don't really truly believe any woman's going to fall in love with me. So the emotional pain and mental pain that I struggle with on a daily basis it goes back to that scale. What, what's the cost? You know, what's, what's the cost of dealing with that? And a lot of people, well, people will be sad if you die. 
I, I don't, I don't care anymore. I can't, I'm not living for them. I, I and, and that's funny. It's funny. Cause just like the people say, live in the present, live in the present until I say, I don't like the present. Then you need to live in the hypothetical future. Yeah. You said, you said, don't live in the hype, but you, uh, ignore what I said earlier, do what I'm saying now. And it's the same way with this. People say, don't live for other people, live for yourself, make yourself happy, do what you want to do, live the life you want to live. However it is, whatever it is until I tell them, I don't want to live it. Then all of a sudden I'm supposed to live for other people, which what um, you just said not to do that. So the it's, it's it's me being vulnerable and expressing the pain and acknowledging the reality that it's not going to get better. Uh, it could, but the likelihood is so slim. I don't want to stick around for 45 more years to see if it does because it's probably going to stay about the same. And physically, my body's going to start to break down because that's, that's aging. I can go run. If, if, if we were doing this in person, we could go play basketball after this. And that would make me so happy because I got a pair of new shoes um, that I, I have to break in. I have to break in these new basketball <laughs> shoes because I got them right before the pandemic. And then, the, and then we couldn't play and they're, they've never been worn. So I would love to do that. I'd love to play basketball with someone right now, but is, is playing basketball enough to want to live? It's not. Do you worry? About how – last question I got out of the way. Do you worry if if you are able to get what you want and switch it to no longer be alive, do you worry about how it will affect your family, particularly your mother? No. My, my mom is the strongest person emotionally I've ever known. Um, she, she – she's, she's like a – like I don't know. I'm trying to think if I should go with a superhero analogy or, or like Jordan, like going through the lane in the nineties, like my mom takes the hits and she, she keeps, she goes to the hole. Yeah. Right. She goes, she's going to, she's going to make it to the rim. My mom's always going to make it to the rim. It doesn't matter what, what hits her along the way. She's going to make it there. Um, so I, and, and I, I also can't, I wouldn't ask my parents or my brother to live their life for me. I wouldn't ask them to move here or to, to, devote the rest of their life to me. So I, I, I shouldn't be expected to do the same for them. And, and, and I, I feel some remorse and some guilt for, but at this point, now that we're estranged and I haven't talked to my brother since September, August. So we're going on, you know, 10 months, eight, eight, eight months. I can't do math. All of a sudden we're going on eight months, um, or longer. And, uh, I don't believe I'll ever talk to my parents again. Mm. Um, my ex-wife and I go through ups and downs of texting and talking. Um, and I have friends, they'll miss me, but I'm not responsible. That's, that's a big factor for me in being comfortable with this. I'm not responsible financially or physically for any other person. No one's depending on me to take care of them physically or financially. Uh, just my dog. And I, and I love him a lot, but um, I think he's resilient too. And I don't want to, I don't even want to, I don't want to live another 10 years and experience his death. Um, let me just say before we, before we let you get out of this conversation, Dave, <clears throat> one of the things that's been real eye opening for me is this is a jarring conversation to have. It's jarring mm -hmm. to see people who, you know, and like talk about this so openly on uh, social media platforms of all stripes and I have to admit, like when I first saw it, I was like, oh shit, what can we do? We have to stop him. We got to save him. But the more 
conversations I saw you having, the more I talk with you about it, it's like, you know what? He should be allowed to live the way he wants to live or not. And it's, okay. it's selfish of me or anyone else to say, no, nah, don't do this because I feel. I mean, it's not really playing into your own agency. You should be able to make whatever choices you want and make whatever decisions you want about the way you live your life and, or, and whether you live or not. And we just have so much societal stuff, societal indoctrination in terms of, hey, we obviously buy lots of we all want to live, but we shouldn't force anybody who doesn't feel that way to live that way. And I hate to see people suffering. I, I think it's shitty to have to live that way. Uh, I got your back. I, I don't. I, I, I don't want. I don't want to see you go. We got some stuff we got to do together. So I don't want to see you go yet. You <laughs> but I understand where you're coming from, brother. And I, I love you for that, and I appreciate you for speaking out about it. Yeah, it's it's like you know. I, I guess I feel like at the end of the day, if I don't tell my story, if I don't share my truth, um, someone else can tell it, and I'd rather be the one to to explain my feelings. Um, and I don't want any questions. If I do, if I do figure this out and I do get to what I'm looking for now is physician assisted death. If I do get that, I don't want anyone to say, well, he could have tried this or he should have tried that, or he should have talked to me. No, I, it, it wouldn't have helped. So I, I appreciate your, your, I don't want to, I don't want to use a, a, your, your growth in, in understanding that from, yeah. from where you were to where you got, yeah. it means a lot. I get that's, it. That's, I, that's, that's, I just want to be heard. I totally get it. I, it I appreciate your story. And, and it's been very enlightening to me. I have a trillion more questions. And, and uh, like I said, I, uh, hopefully I'm, I'm able to reach the, the level of empathy that your, your story um, deserves. And I, I just, I, I, I wish you happiness. However, you can get it, and I, I'm. Well, I think, I think yeah. you've already reached it. Okay, with, with that, with that comment, because you have to understand, like I said, there are the four types of reactions. Some people will never understand, but they will accept, and they'll want me to get whatever sort of relief of suffering I can. Yeah. So don't don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to agree with me. You you might never, you know, but if you empathize with me and you just want me to be free of the pain that I'm in, that's enough. Do I know. hope you write a book. Ah, uh, that's a lot of work, man. That's a lot of work. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just do a series of interviews with you one day. And then we'll, we, we sh I mean, this is, this is stuff that I really think people should talk about. It's one of those really taboo things and yes. we should be having this conversation. And I would hate to not be able to have this openly and honestly with the world. Let's give people stuff to talk about because honestly, nothing ever changes. Minds and hearts don't change until we actually are brave enough to bring this stuff out into the light. And so right. even if it means having a sit down conversation like this, or serious conversations where we document this stuff, we talk about it, we talk about how you got to this point and where you started. I think that not only would it be fascinating, but I also think it would, give a lot of people some understanding, if not that empathy that Rod spoke about. No, I, I think that um, I, I, I'd definitely be open to that because I, there's so many things inside. Like when my wife and I were together and we we're talking about having a child, we didn't know that pooping was part of childbirth. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, how, 
Yes, it is. How does no one talk about that? <laughs> How does no one mention? They, I've seen I've seen childbirth in TV shows and movies, and there's no pooping. Like they should tell you because all of a sudden you're the woman giving birth and you're pooping everywhere, and you're like they're making you feel shamed about it. And it's like well, we could have just talked about it being a thing. And, and it's we we do that. We do that as humans. We we hide the bad thing and we only talk about the good thing. And it's it's not toxic positivity, right? It's toxic positive. Yes, thank you. It's toxic positivity. You know, it's it's uh we we got so I know we're gonna go, but I'm it's it's we got so much we could talk about. Just like with stand up, when you have a good set, it's great. But the reality is, you probably had a thousand miserable sets, you know, where the crowd hated Amen. you. So to ignore that, to ignore that part of the journey, um, is toxic positivity. You're right. Thanks, David. Thank oh, you, thank you guys. Thank I appreciate you. it. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Good to see you again, Marcus. Um, very nice to meet you and fun talking to you, uh, about hoop and, and sharing yeah. your story and, Enlightening me. We gotta get you. Gotta get you back on to talk about some. Yeah, moves. that's the thing. Tell it's me. like you know, we got a lot more playoffs to talk about. <laughs> we got we got more playoffs. I, well, I don't think I'm going anywhere during the playoffs. Um, so you know, <laughs> it's not because of the playoffs. It's because I, I'm trying to go about this the right way, and it's it's taking the time some time. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'd love to come back anytime and talk about basketball or anything else you guys want to talk about. I've had a lot of fun. For Thank sure. you. Sure. And yeah, I would I would love to hear the update on what happens with the doctors that you speak with. Oh, and and with the cop because I, I I want it's yeah it's it's too good of a it's too good of a stand up bit not to go visit him in jail now. <laughs> hey, buddy! <laughs> no, what a plan <laughs> to go visit a dirty cop in jail. Oh man! Well, I mean, he harassed me, and now he's in jail, and I don't think either of us saw that coming. So it's just and make sure you're wearing a camera. Make sure you're wearing a body camera. <laughs> Wear the camera. I'll ask him if he's recording. No, I'll ask him if he's recording it. That's funnier. <laughs> you know what? I, I'll need a documentary crew to come in and film it because I don't think they'll let me wear a camera. <laughs> but they might let me come in with a documentary. And they don't, that's the thing. They're not going to have sympathy for him because what he did, we all agree, is really pervy and awful. You know, recording his partners without consent. So they'll be like, yeah, go ahead. He likes being recorded. Go ahead. It's amazing. It's amazing. Bravo. Bravo, Dan Shapiro. Thank you, guys. Take care. Uh, let me get this in. You too. I love it, dude, man. Yeah. I love it. Wow. I mean, whew. I, man, that's. I'm, I mean, <laughs> you come out the box, baby. Wow. I mean, I, it's, yeah. you know, you just don't think that, you know, man, that's heavy. That's yeah. heavy. It is. It is. Um, and it's it, uh, hopefully, hopefully people will be thinking about it and talking about it and discussing it, et cetera, because it is, you know, kind of a big deal. There are people who are suffering this way. Man, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, it just, you know, they're clearly, you know, people are suicidal, you know, people are depressed, but you just never think about it. And, and he, uh, on the outside and just having a conversation with him does not, you know, you don't, it's, I guess we have sort of a cartoonish way of thinking about how people are depressed. You know, just go, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You, know you, you just, yeah, man. 
Don't judge a book by its cover, all that kind of shit. Right? Wow. Yeah. Heavy, 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 heavy. Well, let's get him back on before he takes off. <laughs> before he is no longer on this mortal yeah, portal. Before he analyzes himself. <laughs> I, I, um, I, meant, I meant what I said, though. I think that he should be chronicling this story, dude, because I, I absolutely believe that more people would be fascinated and to hear his side of it, because there's the outsider's perspective. Why would anybody want to do this? I don't understand. Sometimes some shit is just not meant for us to understand. We have to yeah, I, I just I, like I said, I had so many questions. I, I wanted to ask him if he thought he could help people and maybe that would help him but that got, kind of goes back to well I don't get to dictate how he should go about helping himself and that's what he said about that earlier right when he said that right. he he was he can tell other people that it's going to be better because he believes it's going to be better for them but he doesn't think it's going to get better for him yeah, I mean, it, yeah so it's can, wild wow that is absolutely wild Absolutely wild. We can actually talk to him for another two or three hours. Oh, without, without a doubt. Question. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And and what makes a great interview and is some is the person you're interviewing. And he had he clearly was giving of itself and and you know he the questions I had which were fairly simplistic and clearly he had gotten before he wasn't you know condescending or like oh this shit again. So that yeah, it was just yeah. yeah. He's very open to talking about it. Very that's open what, to talking that's, about it. That's 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 why we're doing this. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Real talk. Bye, right, brother.